with some new levels of anointing, even some fresh, uh, uh, some fresh anointings. And I'm about to uh, give some, I'm going to upgrade. I'm about to upgrade this church. Hallelujah. Because of your faithfulness, because you've been faithful over little, I'm going to upgrade in some areas and you're going to see some things that you have desired and believed for and prayed for and hoped for. And uh, because of your faithfulness, because of your consistency, because you have, you have been uh, faithful to wait on me because there's been a period of time when there was a waiting and there was a proving and there was a, a continuing and there was a waiting for the timing and purposes of God but you remained faithful saith the Lord so I'm going to upgrade this church and very soon you'll begin to see the difference in those upgrades upgrades in anointing upgrades in uh, a freshness a freshness is about to hit this church hallelujah Praise God. Now, somebody else. Hallelujah. Okay. Just stretch yourself out tonight. Anyone? Eric? Anybody else? Anybody got something? You're just almost ready to step out, and you just like, if he'll just wait a minute, I'll get the courage. Hallelujah. In this hour and in this day, when men's hearts are fainting and failing for the day and the hour of which they see and observe, you will find, saith God, a great lack and great need for that which is required for my kingdom to function and operate at an increasing level day by day. Therefore, saith God, there is at this hour great opportunity Many doors have opened wide that those that would stand and having done all to stand, standing and standing and standing, will see themselves suddenly, immediately available for opportunities that will knock, knock, and knock. And you will open the door and say, my, my, that which I never hardly dreamed of has come to me. And I will ask God to strengthen me for the wisdom to do it, and I will walk through this door. So saith God, look not now at the time that you see and say, this is a hard time, but look at the time, saith God, and say, this is my time in him. And you will begin to have people speak to you. You will have events come to you, your knowledge that were heretofore unknown. You will have things available to you that never have been. And you will walk through them, saith God, and my grace will be there for you to prosper, to flourish, and to ascend to the beginning of the level of which you shall live and walk from in this day, saith God. Amen. 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 Now, who's got something else? Anybody got something else? We're not fishing, but if you've got one on the hook, we want to know. Well, amen. Well, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Praise God. Thank you for helping us with that. And we'll get started. Father, thank you for your holy written word. And we, Lord, we just value and esteem it. It is so very precious to us. We are putting our lives into this, living our lives by it. So, Father, give us revelation. We have to have more revelation. We have to see more and know more in order that we can live and, and do the works of God. And we just give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, um, picking up where we left off, but let's read our scriptures tonight. Let me, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. Is it raining or something? We don't care. Sounds like something that was going on. First Tim, that might be the wind of the Holy Ghost. 1 Timothy 1, 17. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Hallelujah. And the Weymouth translation says, Now to the immortal, invisible, and eternal King, who alone is God, is God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
And the Weiss translation says, Now to the King of the ages, the incorruptible, invisible, unique God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And then Revelation 19, 6, we've been reading this. And we could go to a lot of other scriptures that say some marvelous things about God, and we believe all of them, don't we? Revelation 19, 6 says, uh, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of, of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And so we have been talking about God and Him being... Uh, uh, whether he is sovereign or not. And we have we have determined through our studies that God is omnipotent, which is all-powerful. We know that to be true. It, well, it just said that there in Revelation 19, 6, that he is omnipresent, that he is present in all places at all times, and that he is omniscient or uh, having infinite awareness or he knows everything. He knows everything that's going on, past, present, and future. He, he knows everything about every person. He knows why they do what they do, why they act the way they do. He knows everything in the future that is to come, everything in the past that has been. Hallelujah. He even understands the devil. Hallelujah. He knows just exactly what the, how, you know what? He knows how to, he knows how, what makes him tick. He knew how to defeat him at Calvary and he knows how to cause us to walk in victory and walk, oh, hallelujah. He knows how to make, when we say there's always a way to win, that's cause God knows how. Hallelujah. He knows, and you know, he knows how to, if I'm not understanding the word one way, he knows how to get it to me another way. Sometimes I even ask him that. I'm saying, Lord, I'm missing something here. If you are trying to tell me, show me another way. And he knows how to show us where we can understand it. And, you know, I pray that for other people too sometimes. If, if somebody's not catching something, I think, they're, Lord, show them again. Show them again and show them a different way. You know, how, you know how to get the revelation to them. And so we would never want to take anything from our most wonderful, most high, uh, all-powerful uh, God of all the universe, the only true God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. We'd never ever want to take anything away from him or add anything to him, attribute anything to him that wasn't from him or, you know, was from the enemy. Hallelujah. And so, uh, but what we have come to the determine in the last two Wednesday nights as we have studied this is that God is sovereign and for certain he is sovereign in heaven all the time and you know his one way to say uh, talk about God's sovereignty is his word is sovereign in the earth in fact by his word is how we uh by, by speaking His Word is how you bring a sovereign God into the earth. But we determined that in His sovereignty, when He set up all the systems of the universe, all the systems of this world, and created man in His image and gave him dominion, that He decided how it would work because He was sovereign and He could make the decision and the choice and it was going to be like He said it was going to be. Amen? And so he made those decisions because of his sovereignty. And he decided that he would limit his own sovereignty in the earth from the time that Adam, he created Adam. And in Genesis 1.26, we already read this where he said, Let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. And right there he said, Okay, I'm sovereign and I've decided I'm going to share uh, my power, my authority. I'm going to share it with mankind. I'm going to give it to them because I want to work with them. I don't just want to lord over them. Amen. He wants to work with us. Hallelujah. So we're going to study that a little bit further tonight and look at some scriptures in that, in that light. Okay. Um, now let me find where I'm, where I'm at because I had to move everything around. Okay. So God is sovereign in the sense that He is the most high God. He's paramount, supreme, and there is no other God before and never will be. He is, we said this, He's omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. Uh, so, uh, you know, we talked last week extensively about, uh, <clears throat> Uh, does it, when you talk about sovereignty, you have to think about well, where does sickness come from? Uh, so does God put God, uh, God does God put sickness on us to teach us something? 
Because if he is in control of everything and we're sick, and that's what some seem to think, is that God's in control. You see that? Do you see bumper stickers that say God's in control? Hallelujah. So we would, if, if you believe that God is in total control, then you would have to say, well, this sickness either came from him or was allowed by him. And so uh, we've had to discover uh, where sickness came from. And we know, I believe everybody in here knows that sickness comes from the devil. Uh, hallelujah. Acts 10, 38, Jesus said that, I mean, Paul said about Jesus that he went about, uh, Luke said about Jesus, I'll get this right, uh, that he went about doing good and healing all those that were sick and oppressed of the devil. So uh, they, he said that, uh, that sickness was demonic oppression. Hallelujah. That it comes from the devil. And so, uh, but then it brings us to the question, well, if it, okay, I can, the, if sickness comes from the devil, but surely since God's in control, he must be allowing the devil to put sickness on us. But we found out that, that God in his sovereignty had given us the authority. And he said that in, uh, uh, where he's in, in Matthew, he said, uh, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And we know in the Amplified Bible, it says, whatever you allow on earth will be allowed in heaven. So he said, you know, I'm going to let man uh, decide. I'm going to let him. Now, there's some things he hasn't left us decide, but we'll talk about those later. Okay. So, so uh, why is sickness? Where, why does it come on us? How? What happens? I want you to turn over to Psalm 107. Hallelujah. And we could talk about a lot of ways that sickness comes, but I just want to talk about a few. Hallelujah. And it's real clear in the scripture, Psalm 107, verse 17. It says, listen to this. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. So, how, how come we get afflicted? Now, this is not the way it happens every time, but sometimes we have affliction come because we're foolish. Did you ever do anything foolish? I mean, we have a lot of times said, why did I do that? And because we burned ourselves or we got hurt or we, you know, we did something foolish. And people do foolish things every day. Hallelujah. And it brings affliction to them sometimes. Hallelujah. So sometimes just from foolishness, we get afflicted. And then he said because foolishness and also because of their transgression. Now transgression means just to do something wrong. Just it, There's a difference between a transgression and an iniquity. He said because of their transgression and because of their iniquity. So transgression is a little different than iniquity. Remember Jesus was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. Do y'all remember that? Well, uh, a wound is a surface is a surface like a break in the skin or or it's a wound and there's an open sore or something because of wound so jesus was wounded or in other words he had open he was like the stripes on his back would be wounds and the where his scalp was pierced uh, would be wounds and where his hands were pierced those are wounds and so he was wounded for our transgressions or our sins or our mess ups or our uh, uh, things that we do wrong but he was bruised and we know that a bruise is an internal injury and that you know sometimes we can see the black or blue mark but sometimes you can't really see something and yet organs or whatever can be bruised and Jesus was bruised internally for our iniquity and iniquity is internal sin. It's like it, it's like it's like the sin that's on the inside, but you, maybe you don't even see it on the outside. So here in Psalms, David said that we are. He was. Uh, he said that fools, fools, get, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, get afflicted. And we can see a lot of times how when people just do wrong things, that a lot of times they get uh, they get uh, uh, they get an affliction. Or because of just sin, just just uh, that sin, the sin nature, that iniquity, they get an affliction that comes to them. Or sometimes, like in the first of verse, foolishness. You know, there's people that'll drive 125 miles an hour, and that's just foolish. And sometimes there's an affliction because of that. The good news is, is because uh, uh, in verse 19, it says, When they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, He saveth them out of their distresses. So thank God for the mercy of God. But that's one of the ways it's like, well, you know, God didn't allow it, but because of 
foolishness and because of transgression and because of iniquity. Sometimes afflictions come. And then also we know another way why the affliction comes is or, or sickness or, or just problems is Hosea 4, 6. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So just not understanding the way the Word works, not understanding uh, our part in the system that God set up. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, uh, I will also reject thee. So rejecting of knowledge can cause affliction come, cause people to be destroyed for lack of knowledge. Then we know that wrong choices can bring disaster upon us. And we know over in Ephesians 6 that it says... Uh, Oh, Ephesians 6, <clears throat> and we have to teach our children this. You know, I think it's, a not just a, it's important to teach our children to obey, but it's also to, important to teach them why they need to obey. And first of all, they need to obey because God will bless them for obeying. There's a blessing for being obedient. And uh, they need to obey because it says that it will be uh, well with them and that they would live long on the earth in verse 3. And so, you know, you just get into common sense and say, if you've got a child that's obedient and you can say to that child, stop or uh, don't do that, that they're not going to get hurt. You're going to be able as a parent to keep them from getting hurt. When they go to lay their hand on something hot, you can say, stop, don't do that. And because they've been taught to be obedient, they stop and they don't get hurt. So there's a lot of times that children get sick or they are afflicted or they have, they have uh, afflictions just because they haven't been taught to be obedient children. I mean, how many of you ever told your kids, don't jump on the bed? Hallelujah. And then, you know, we know that nearly every child has jumped on the bed. Now, in our day and age, we used to get smallpox vaccination when I was a little girl. They may remember that. And it made a little scab right here. And, you know, most of us still have the little scar. If, we're your, if you have the scar, you're old. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so my parents said, don't jump on the bed. But me and my cousin jumped on the bed. And, you know, they were all saying, don't knock that scar off before it's... And I knocked her smallpox scar off jumping on the bed. Hallelujah. Uh, you know, she's still alive. She's made it, though. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. But see, just when children don't obey, we end up getting hurt or hurting something. Hallelujah. So we have to teach our children to obey because it's protection to them. Because if a truck's coming and we say, don't, stop. You know, and then they're not used to obeying. They'll just keep on running, keep on going. Hallelujah. And then we know that affliction comes because of attacks from the devil. John 10, 10 says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And you know, there's things we can do to protect ourselves against attacks of the devil. The Bible says to watch and pray. We can be on the alert. Hallelujah. We can, we can, we can stop things sometimes before they come. And we so we need to do that. And we know that if we stay out of sin, we're not going to be as vulnerable to the attacks of the devil because sin is the devil's workshop. And if we stay out of the devil's places, you know, you could go down to the Black Orchid tonight or I don't know. I just that one comes to my mind. Hallelujah. I think that's in downtown Tuscaloosa. And, you know, I just wouldn't hang out down there if I was y'all because uh, you, you'd be in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, and there's certain parts of town where there's gunfire just nearly every night. You know, I wouldn't go there if I was you. Hallelujah. And so if we'll stay out of those places and if wise people will stay out of those places, then we won't run into affliction and, and problems a lot of times. And, you know, uh, uh, it, the, so it, it, you know, the Bible says to not to hang around with fools. Hallelujah. And not to, that bad company corrupts good morals. And uh, so just makes all the difference where we're at, where we, who we're hanging around with. But then sometimes, you know, even though we're doing the right thing, maybe we're even in church, the devil still somehow attacks. And uh, hallelujah. We don't need to get under it and say, well, now I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't in sin. Well, good, because that'll just make you be able to defeat him all the faster. Amen. So hallelujah. And then we know that another reason things happen to Christians is just because natural forces from an imperfect world. You know, hallelujah. Just this is an imperfect world. 
the weather systems are not perfect and uh, so things like that. But we know also that Matthew 7, 11 says that, that, uh, that if ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more God will He give good things to His children? So God's gifts to us are always good. We don't have to sit around and wonder, you know, is this God or is this not? And Listen, if it's not good, it's not God. To you, to the Christian... Hallelujah. If it's not good, it's not God. And if it steals from you and kills and destroys in your house, it's not God. And so we know if it's not God, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to resist it because we're supposed to submit to everything that God brings. And we're supposed to resist everything that the devil brings. Every bit of it. Hallelujah. So we have to be able to know these things and discern these things. So... um. The Lord um, uh, also told us in Luke 6.10, remember the Lord's Prayer. It says in the Lord's Prayer, it says to pray this way. It says to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God told us he wanted to pray that, every, that the earth would be just like heaven. Well, now we know we can read all over the Bible, but in Revelation and Isaiah, that, 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 there is a, that heaven is a blessed and pleasant place. That there is no evil in heaven. Hallelujah. That there's nothing there that's not uh, good and precious and perfect and hallelujah, glorious. And even the, the trees don't shed their leaves there and the flowers don't, you know, you don't have to deadhead flowers in heaven. Because some of them died, you know. I was out there deadheading today. But you don't have to do that in heaven because they're just perpetually beautiful. And there's no death there. And God said for us to pray that that's the way that it would be on earth. So we know we can tell God's will for the earth by what He told us to pray. He said it'd be just like, pray that it'd be just like in heaven. So the Lord is the answer to all our problems. And God is not ever the problem in our life. He is never the problem. He is, no matter how much you think you're doing the Word, He is never the problem. But when people get into confusion over the sovereignty of God, it makes them waver. It makes them become what James 1.8 says, a double-minded man. They become unstable in all their ways and they're double-minded. One reason they're double-minded is because they can't figure out, is this from God or what is what is causing this? Is God trying to teach me something? And they so they don't know. They waver between praying for healing and, and, you know, and just wondering if God's putting something on them to trying to teach them. And you know, sometimes, you know, no matter, you know, sometimes these things will even come back to some of us that have renewed our mind. Maybe we have a situation or a, a condition in our lives and we believed God for healing and some time passes and we don't get healed. If you don't watch it, an old thought come into your mind and say, well, you know, maybe I know God's healed me, and but maybe there's just a purpose in, uh, in this taking so long. I've had that thought come to my mind and it makes you, if you don't, know to cast that down and know where that thought's coming from, then it begins to make you double-minded. And you begin to waver on, on standing and, and believing for your healing. Hallelujah. So we don't want to be double-minded. Uh, you know, another way that it makes us double-minded, if we believe that God's sovereign and He's putting things on people in the earth because He chooses everything, then it makes us believe that God chooses to heal one and then chooses not to heal another. And boy, that messes people up all over the world. Hallelujah. Because they think, well, you know, God's sovereign. And they pray then in their prayer, Lord, now heal them if it be thy will. And we know that that's a prayer of unbelief and people that pray that way don't get healed. Pray people that get prayed for that way. If anybody ever prays for you that way, just shoo them out of the room. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Because we, we, that's a prayer of unbelief. You can't pray unless you know the will of God. You can't pray effectively. You can make words, but you can't pray effectively. So, um, it makes us double-minded, thinking God's choosing one and then He's not choosing another. But we can read all through the Word where it says that God is no respecter of persons. That, that we're all God's favorite. We're all the apple of His eye. 
And he does not respect one over the other. But you know, the, the situation is this, is that it take, God set it up that way. In Romans chapter 4, it talks about how he set up uh, for it to work. If you'll, He said over in Romans 4 verse 16, hallelujah. And you know, you just need to read over and over Romans 4, 16 down through 20 until this just gets down in you. I've read this uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of times. There, therefore, it's just real simple. He says, therefore, it is of faith. Therefore, God set up the system that it would always be by faith. Therefore, it is of faith. Why? That it might be by grace to the, to the end, the promise might be sure to all. God didn't want it to be, some people get it, some people don't. He wanted the promises to be sure to all the seed. Not only, it says, to that which is of the law or the Jews, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham. And he goes on down there and tells us how faith works then in those other verses. Those are good verses to meditate on. But he says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. So what we know about this is, you know, what we have to do in order to be healed is we have to get in faith. Now, when you get over in that sovereignty of God thing, you want to put all the responsibility for healing on God. And then when you say, if it be thy will, you're saying, well, I'm not responsible. God's responsible. And if I don't get it, it was his fault. It was his responsibility, not mine. But that's not what the word says. The word says it is of faith that it might be sure to all the seed. So that means every one of us in here have an equal, he is, God is equal opportunity. He is, every one of us have equal opportunity to be healed. Every one of us in here have equal opportunity to be saved. Every one of us have equal opportunity to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, to speak in tongues. We all have equal opportunity to prosper. We all have equal opportunity to have our families blessed. But it's by faith, hallelujah, that it might be sure. Turn over to Nahum. You hadn't been there lately. Nahum, right before Habakkuk and right after Micah. Nahum 1.7. You ought to underline this scripture. It says, The Lord is good. We know that. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And He knoweth them that trust in Him. He knoweth them that trust in Him. God knows if you're in faith or you're not. It would be wise of us to consult Him on that. I've heard people say, well, now I, I just prayed and I know I'm in faith, but I just hadn't been getting healed. Well, yeah, you're not in faith. Now, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but if, you, if, we're not, if we're not getting healed, we're not in faith. And so we need to consult Him. Instead of telling God, I know I'm in faith, God, we ought to ask Him, Am I in faith, God? And I have asked him that many times. I've said, Lord, I, you know, this is... Because you know sometimes the attacks come at you from every direction and your body feels like hell. Hallelujah. Because it's coming from hell. What's coming against it? And so, hallelujah. And, you're, and you know, your mind can start to swirl. Hallelujah. And you all of it, you're like, I, I, you know, I think I'm in faith. But we'd be wise for us to say, Lord, am I in faith? And you know what? Every time I've ever asked him, he showed me. And Lord, I'm just said, Lord, now, if I'm missing it somewhere, because you know what the Bible says, uh, where was that at? Let me see. It says in 1 Thessalonians 3.10 that he will uh, perfect that or complete that. I don't know how it says it, which is lacking in your faith. Perfect that or complete that which is lacking in your faith. And you know most of us, especially in this room, we're not missing it a country mile. We're just missing it a, you know, a fingernail. There's just some little something we're thinking wrong or some little something we're saying wrong or some little way we're believing that just isn't quite tapping in. Hallelujah. Or maybe we just have a little bit of unbelief. I, I, I like that. Um, uh, well, I'll talk about that. But well, I'll go ahead and talk about it, but it, I think I'm getting ahead of myself in my notes. But, you know, uh, one thing Andrew Womack said in, in, you know, Mark 11, 23 and 24, it says that he that believes and does not doubt in his heart 
Most of us don't need any more faith. We don't need to do more believing because it just takes a little bit of faith to get healed or get anything you need, but it does take pure faith. In other words, you can't have faith mixed with unbelief. So one of the things we need to do is sometimes just not get more faith, but just get rid of whatever little area of unbelief. And, uh, and, and you know, if we just get with God and ask Him, He will show us where our little area, and it's, you know, something when, when, so, but sometimes people just puff up. They get so mad if you said, well, you know, you've got a little unbelief there. Well, I just, well, you know, it, it don't mean you're in unbelief in every area of your life. And, you know, you're just an old, full of unbelief, unbelieving person. It just means that, you know, in our heart, our faith has to be, that unbelief has to go. Hallelujah. So that our faith is completely, we, we just get it completely settled with God. And then it just won't be long until our healing will spring forth when that happens. Um. So, in the sovereignty of God teaching, it's really convenient to lay all responsibility over on God. Because that way we don't have to do anything. That way everything is up to God. <laughs> the sovereignty of God teaching has made people atheists. That's what's made men atheists. We've made them. We've, the, the church has made them atheists. Because we had that old stinking doctrine that God's in control of everything. And, uh, you know, a lot of times atheists are uh, college-educated intellectuals. And they're smart. And sometimes they're smarter than us. And they look over there and they go, If God's in control, I don't want nothing to do with Him. Because that's not a good God that would do that. And so they just decide, well, there must not be any God. Of course, I really truly believe what I've heard. I think David Dixon and several others say that on the deathbed there is no atheist. Hallelujah. It's real easy when you really need help or in the foxhole. There's no, no atheist in a foxhole. Hallelujah. When you really need him, you all of a sudden believe in him. And really, they're, de they're really deceiving themselves because you can't even look at a human body and not know that there's a God. You can't look. In fact, Leon B. Yeomans, she, you know, great faith and healing teacher, she was a doctor, and she said even when she was just a sorry, no good, she said what really made her know there was a God was looking at the human body and studying it as a doctor. That there was no way she couldn't believe that there was a God after seeing the human body. Okay, so it's a very convenient teaching uh, to say God is not God is God is responsible, but God is not responsible. We are. Um, so uh, <clears throat> I looked up on the internet. You know, I got curious today about what the see if I could find anything on the sovereignty of God because I knew I'd find some. And sure enough, I found a place I didn't even know exists. Y'all ever heard of Wikipedia? Okay. Well, I knew about Wikipedia, but I didn't know about Theopedia. So this Theopedia is just like Wikipedia, but you can go find out all your religious questions. But let me tell you, they don't got the answers. <laughs> because listen to this on the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is a biblical teaching. Well, okay, that all things are under God's control and that nothing happens without His direction or permission. God who not God God works not just some things but all things according to the counsel of his own will all things all things are according to the counsel of his own will so when a gunman just gets up I'd like to just say that to this you know a gunman gets and just mows down or takes a plane and flies it into the towers that was God working all things according to the counsel of his own will wow uh, his purposes are all inclusive and never thwarted you know, that's strange because Jesus said he could do no mighty work there. Could do, not wouldn't do. Could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. It seemed like his purposes were thwarted the way things were said there. Uh, nothing takes God by surprise. Now, I can get in agreement with that, can't you? The sovereignty of God is not merely that God has the power and right to govern all things. Now, I agree with that. God has the power and right to govern all things. But he chose how he's going to do it, didn't he? But that he does so always, without exception. In other words, God is not merely sovereign de jure in principle, but sovereign de facto in practice. 
Hallelujah. I wonder what language that was I was speaking there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So that was on the internet. So in under Theopedia. So I thought, okay, who's behind Theopedia? So I got to looking and I found out, oh, they were the Calvinists were behind the Theopedia. Well, do you know who the Calvinists are? Well, the Calvinists believe something really weird. They believe, and you know, denominational churches all over the world have been infiltrated with this teaching in some form or another, and they and, and, and they say, Calvinists say, they believe in election or what they call predestination. And they believe God is so sovereign that he just looked out and he just picked you, 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 and you, and I've elected you to be saved. And because I've elected you, you will just naturally choose God and follow him. But I haven't chose you, 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 and you, and therefore you'll just naturally not choose God. So, you know, that is a very convenient teaching to cause us to not have to do anything. Man, we don't have to go and serve an evangelism or evangelism outreach because if you go into a neighborhood, they're pro that neighborhood's probably not elected. And so it would do absolutely no good for you to witness to them because they're just not elected. So even if they wanted to receive God, they couldn't. No matter how good they lived, they're not elected. Does that sound like the devil? Hallelujah. And then, you know, people that are elected, um, you know, we don't need to go witness to them either way because they just naturally have something inside them that's going to cause them to come to God. Oh, man. Hallelujah. This is so convenient to be a lazy Christian. We don't have to do anything. God's in control. He's sovereign. We don't have to go witness. We don't have to win others to Christ. Man, we, you know, and if you're not elected, man, just go blow the town up sinning. Because it don't really matter. Because you, you live good, you still, you're going to hell. Even if you live good, because you just weren't elected. So I'm not recommending Theopedia because they're, it's, it's partially partially backed by the Calvinist. Hallelujah. <clears throat> you know, um, now, you know, I'm not coming against John Calvin. I mean, he's no way, way back, you know. I'm not coming against any of these people. <laughs> but what we have to understand is that revelation is pro pro progressive. And so, but uh, the problem we have is when we build a, a, a altar and a denomination, and we build something on some revelation that somebody had in the 1500s. And you know, and, and plus this revelation doesn't hold up with other scripture, but that's just something uh, that when we stop, and we just won't be teachable, and we just won't let God show us anything new. I know there's things that I used to believe I don't believe anymore. Because revelation, I let some revelation come. And I think 10 years from now we'll be going, wow, we don't believe that anymore. Boy, my pastor used to teach this, but now he don't teach that no more. And sometimes I try to tell you if I say I used to teach that. And you know, when we came to Tuscaloosa, you may not realize this, but we had a whole, you know, we had 14 years worth of cassette tapes. And you know what we did with them? We went to the dumpster. And threw them away. Because we knew, man, we have grown so much in 14 years. Hallelujah. You know, we've just gotten in the last 10 years where we can keep anything. <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, you know, in the sense of it being useful for anything. Praise God. Because we're learning. But, you know, we ought to always be willing to throw away stuff. <laughs> Hallelujah. In our cassette tape collection, but also in our heart. Praise the Lord God. Hallelujah. So God is not responsible. We are. We have to rule our garden. Deuteronomy 30, 19, God said, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You choose life. It was an open book test. I've set before you these things, and then he told us what to choose. Choose life. Hallelujah. So we have to do the choosing for our own life. God has given us that ability to choose. Um, turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. We're going to, we're starting to get to the winding down point. And we're going to be 
pretty much through, I think, with the sovereignty of God. I think we've covered it enough to give everybody a cassette tape that ever asked the question. Ephesians 3.20. Hallelujah. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Boy, how many times have you heard people quote that scripture? Oh, we get so excited. Praise God. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. Dear Jesus, hallelujah. But we forget that last part that says, according to the power that worketh in us. So God's not going to be doing any exceeding abundantly above all that we ask, think, or imagine unless we get some power working in us. And there we go again. We have to choose to get the power working in us. And there's a lot of ways we do it. We can do it by praying in tongues. We do it, you know, uh, we do it by, by the Bible says, uh, uh, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Hallelujah. We don't get it driving down the road listening to country and western music. Hallelujah. In fact, you know, that's, that's a drain. You don't get it off the TV. Now, I'm not advocating we never watch TV, but I tell you, you gotta, you gotta know that, you know, it's a drain. It's, it's pulling. It's pulling. It's pulling. And so we just have to make sure we're putting and, and, uh, how, and some things drain more than others. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And anything else. Boy, sometimes people will drain you. Hallelujah. And I know when you go to work, sometimes they drain you. So you have to take, be constantly filled up and keep that power working in you. Hallelujah. Boy, did you ever work with anybody that was a drain? Lord, hallelujah. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Or just, if you don't, just go to a family reunion, stay about four days. You will be so empty and dry, I guarantee you. And you say, no, 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 my kinfolks. I know, I know, I know. And mine are Christian too. But I, there's a lot of difference between being Christian and being in faith. And I tell you, sometimes some unbelievers will drain you less than the Christians who are not in faith. Oh, man. You know, just a few times of God works in mysterious ways, His wonders to perform. And you just be, a, you'll either be just, you know, I don't know. You'll be ready. Hallelujah. You'll be ready to come back and get with the family of God. Hallelujah. Let's look at uh, Romans 8, 17. And just see how God set it up. Just a couple of more scriptures. How did God set it up to work? That's what we need to know. Because listen, we're not going to change Him. And you know, He's not going to say, Well, you know, they really just don't understand how this gravity thing works. So, you know, we'll just kind of have to not let that work for them. No, it works. Even for tiny babies who, who are so innocent and pure, and they don't know how it works. And it, it always works for them. And, you know, you know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. It, and that's the way with the kingdom of God. It's like He doesn't suspend it just because, man, they mean well. They really love me. And, boy, I tell you, some, some people, th there are cults that really love God that are going to go to hell because they got the wrong way to salvation. But they really are love God. And you know what? They're more faithful than we are, more committed than we are, give their life more for it than we do. But it, God doesn't suspend the rules just because we meant well. So we have to find out how this all works. Romans eight seventeen it says, uh, <clears throat> And if children, oh no, let's see, okay, let's look in, in 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Say, I am a child of God. Now, you know, there's a song, what is it? I don't know. Coca-Cola, uh, you know, I don't know. We're all children of God. Teach the world to sing, and we're all God's children. And, and what is it? He's got the whole world in His hands. Hallelujah. Now, that's just sweet, but, you know, and we're all the children of God. No, we're not. We're not. Not every human being is a child of God. Jesus turned to Peter and said, You are of your father the devil. That was one of the apostles. Praise God, he got saved. <laughs> after, the, after the death, burial, and resurrection, he got saved. He was no longer of his father, the devil. 
right? No, he didn't, did he? Oh, that might not have been Peter. I don't know. Hallelujah. But he said something. He said, get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter, which is about the same thing as saying you are of your father the devil. Okay, but he did say you are of your father the devil. He said that to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay, now I got it all straight now. Okay, and if children, verse 17, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We are joint heirs with Jesus. He, Jesus, so he can't be controlling this thing and doing all of it by himself because that's not how joint heirs work. If Colin and Eric are joint heirs to our estate, that means, and, and if God's going to have turned some things on or they're just going to be dividing up the flower pots. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, which color do you like? <laughs> but... Uh, no, we're going to stick around a while. Hallelujah, and all go together. But the point is that if they're joint heirs to our estate, they can't do anything without each other. Eric can't just decide, well, I'm going to get in all the flower pots and I'm just giving you the, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> hallelujah. No, because they're joint heirs. They will have to decide together. We're joint heirs to Jesus. We, we, he has to have us to work with uh, Him. And we have to have Him to work with us. We can't do anything without Him, but He can't do anything in the earth because He chose it that way without us or without a human being, without one of His children, without a child of God working with Him. Amen? That's how it works. That's how He set it up because He was sovereign. Amen? Okay, then turn, and this is our last scripture, to 1 Corinthians 3 9. 1 Corinthians 3 9. How did he set it up? 1 Corinthians 3 4. We are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. For we are laborers together with God. Hallelujah. God needs us. God needs us because He needs labors, and we are the labors. Hallelujah. He needs us. We need Him. Oh, we, des he, we need Him worse than He needs us. I'll agree to that. Hallelujah. Praise God. But He needs us because we are labors together with God. Now I want to read you something, and it will really bless you. Thank you, Jesus. And this is from the Eternal Church by Dr. Bill Hammond. And I tell you what, this will get you fired up. You're liable to run around the room. It takes two to make one. Jesus has fully identified himself with the church. He and his church are one. He is the head. Church members are the body, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. It takes both a head and a body to make a functioning being. It takes Jesus and his church to make one functioning ministry. As husband and wife are one flesh in God's sight, so Jesus and His church are one in spirit and ministry. The Eternal designed it that way, and it is the greatest delight of Jesus for it to be so. Jesus completed His personal part. Jesus declared, it is finished. And Father, I have finished the work that You gave me to do. This revealed that Jesus had finished the work that had to be done by himself personally alone. He did some things that we couldn't do and he had to do by himself. Jesus is thrilled that his independent individual ministry is over forever. Never again will he have to do anything alone. Whatever else is to be done will be done with the church. Paul E. Bilheimer emphasizes this point, and this is a quote. And that this is God's glorious purpose for the church is authenticated and confirmed by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, and 3. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Know ye not that ye shall judge angels? This is an earnest of what Jesus meant when he said, The glory that thou gavest me I have given them. This royalty and rulership is no hollow, empty, figurative, symbolic, or emblematic thing. It is not a figment of the imagination. The church, the bride, the eternal companion is to sit with him on his throne. If his throne represents reality, then hers is no fantasy. Neither joint heir can do anything alone. In law, a joint heir can do nothing alone, nothing without the other. 
Jesus Christ purchased His church to be His co-laborers. His united bride, one with Him and all that He was, shall ever be or shall ever do. Everything that Jesus shall ever do again from now to eternity, we, from now to eternity will be done in through and with His church. He will never do anything ever again without His church being a part with Him in its fulfillment. Jesus has eternally joined Himself to His church. He united Himself with His church in its origination and did not forsake His bride during her deterioration. He's talking about the dark ages there. He has continued to give Himself to His church time after time in restoration and will continue until it reaches its ultimate destination. He has delegated His power of authority to His church for the performance of His eternal purpose. All things yet to be revealed, restored, or fulfilled will be accomplished in, by, and through His church. The church bride is now functioning as co-executor of His Word and also will continue this ministry after the resurrection translation. He's talking about the rapture there. Members of the body of Christ, let your hearts rejoice and be glad for the ministry of the church is destined never to deteriorate or end, but to escalate and begin on a higher realm. The body of Christ will never be dismembered or disbanded but will become more fully united and eternally magnified in its ministry with Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Be convinced along with the Apostle Paul that the church can never be separated from its love, life, reality, and ministry with Christ Jesus. Paul had the clearest and most complete revelation of the church of any of the biblical writers. As a member of Christ's great corporate body, he spoke emphatically to the church at Rome concerning the united ministry and re relationship with Jesus. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us. Nothing can stop him. Absolutely nothing can stop Jesus from ultimately fulfilling his purpose in and through his church. Death cannot. Nothing in life can. Demons in hell or the devil himself cannot and not even angels in the heavens can. The church is so interwoven into every fiber, life and purpose of Christ's being that all of heaven would have to be ripped apart and the eternal Godhead destroyed in order to separate the church from Christ. The church is in the Father's hand and no man can pluck it out. Since nothing can stop Jesus Christ from fulfilling His purpose in His church... No, I was through. I'm sorry. Cut that last part. I was through and didn't know it. Hallelujah. Praise God! Hallelujah! The church! Oh man, we need a revelation of who we are, the who the church is. Hallelujah. Let's stand up together. Oh, Father, let your revelation increase in us about the church and who we are and the member, many-membered body of Christ. And Father, let everything that's not of you and everything we've believed and taught be uprooted and cleared out of the church in Jesus' name. Let our faith be pure and holy. Let us see Jesus as He is and let us see the church as we are and, and, and know who we are. Oh God, we know, Lord, it nearly seems too big, but Lord, we know that there is nothing too difficult for You. Hallelujah. And Father, that You are on a mission. You are on a mission to, to bring to pass the glorious church that's without spot or blemish. And so, Father, we trust You that You are working in ways we cannot see. We trust You, Lord God, that, that oh, hallelujah, that, ooh, that, that You are increasing the church more and more. And, Father, soon and very soon, we're going to be walking in all the glory, all the revelation, all the anointing. Oh, hallelujah, because we're coming in to the revealing of the sons of God. Oh, we groan for that, and Lord, we know creation groans for it. And we say, oh God, do that work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. 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 Lord, we'll, uh, uh, saints, we'll pray for anybody that needs prayer tonight.